It would be fair to begin the lesson today by expressing appreciation to all of those who came to the meeting the other night at Corinth, that gospel meeting that uh, began last Sunday and continued, of course, through, I think it was Thursday night, but my night was only to speak Tuesday, and several of you were there, and appreciate your encouragement, your, your attendance, your participation in all the ways. As mentioned a moment ago, Cale pointed out that I'll be in a gospel meeting beginning next Sunday morning at the West Sparta congregation, and so someone else will be delivering the message here. Certainly appreciate your prayers in light of that gospel meeting, and if you can, come be with us. The, the title, if you will, or the theme, I should say, of that particular series will surround this, Bible Questions and Answers. Every lesson will be drawn from a question that's asked in the Bible, and the answer is also given in the Bible. So we're, we're going to use some questions and answers during the course of that meeting. For today, very able men. You may have noticed that really was a phrase that occurred in 1 Chronicles 9.13, and that was the lesson text of the morning. Joy read that a moment ago. I hope that if you have your Bible still open to that place, you'll keep it there for at least the next few moments as we... Give a lesson, some thought with that title. Here's some introductory thoughts. You perhaps are already aware of the fact that there is a definite trend. In fact, it's been ongoing for now around two decades. A definite trend in which when those various polls are taken of the American people, and even for some, uh, even in, in a more extensive way, and ask about their religious affiliation, many the fastest growing group are those that claim no religious affiliation. In fact, even a word has been coined to describe them. They're nuns. They aren't a member of any religious kind of organization. They don't profess any interest in one. They're just nuns. Well, you'll notice on that slide, it seems as if that's particularly true among men. Our application will be a little bit more directed than that, as you'll notice about the middle of that slide. In a lot of congregations, perhaps you're aware of it, there tends to be a lot more female members than men. In fact, on average, 61% of those in attendance are women. That leaves only 39% as men. And when you go to Wednesday night, at least on average, those who are in attendance tend to be more like 70 to 80% women. And again, the remainder is the men. It really leads to some good questions, questions that I'm going to use today to motivate us men especially. Now, lessons, of course, will be beneficial for everybody. But gentlemen, we've got to face some facts, some appreciations that really hit us squarely in the forehead because God expects some things of us, and we're going to have to give an answer at judgment for it. So what about very able men? That was the title of the lesson. I always think it wise to at least reflect on the lesson text, and so that's the purpose of this next slide. In 1 Chronicles 9, verse 13, here is at least a basic backdrop of that which was taking place, and it went something like this. This is really that section in 1 Chronicles that is not typically the most fun reading. It's the genealogy. So-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. And those names are sometimes hard to pronounce, and they're often challenging to keep up with who went where. Beside all that, though, here's the main point, at least for this verse. 
you'll notice that this particular passage in 1 Chronicles lists for us the names of some of those who had enough nerve and enough initiative to leave Babylon and go back to Jerusalem when God made it possible. You and I might remember they had stayed in Babylon now for 70 years. They had become comfortable there. They had had houses and homes there, had jobs in other places. But yet finally under the decree of Cyrus... The opportunity was made available. Those who want to go back to Jerusalem, you have our permission to go. Now, there were a whole lot of them that didn't want to leave. They had become comfortable in Babylon, and they just decided to stay. But this chapter at least lists for us those men who had enough initiative, who had enough leadership capability, and enough fervor for the place where God's name was held high that they picked up their roots and headed back to Jerusalem. And so you'll notice about the middle of that slide, 1,760 of them, at least in that verse, were said to be very able men. Now that isn't by any means the name of all who, who came back. Ezra, in fact, tells us some additional ones, but you may know this. That phrase, very able, it carries with it in the ancient Hebrew passage the thought of being mighty, to be strong, to have power. These men were committed enough that they were said to be very able men. The notion of that very able men leads me to close that slide. I wonder what qualities these men had that made them very able. And isn't it true that I think we'll find that those qualities ought to be very present in you and me today, gentlemen. Let's look at several of them. First of all, one of the first things that might be noted, these men were available. That is to say, they were ready and present when the call from God came, when the opportunity arose, when the circumstances made it possible for them, they were available. Let's develop that point like this. According to Ezra chapter 2, There were some 42,360 who returned from Jerusalem. And yet of that number, we've just seen 1,760 were said to be very able men. Something different about these, something unique, something very, very noteworthy. Maybe it is, you can note this, they were ready to do the work of God. They were ready to, in fact, leave behind whatever associations they had developed in Babylon, to leave behind these and to especially dedicate themselves to the service that was now their lot in coming back to Jerusalem. Needless to say, going back to Jerusalem, the city was in ruins. Remember, the wall had been broken down. The temple was in disrepair. There was a lot of work to be done, and yet these men volunteered. They signed up to come back, knowing full well all the work that would be required and the particular demand upon them that would be taken, that would be in fact in place. You'll note about the middle of that slide. That little lesson is seemingly one that appears so many times in the Word of God. I'm reminded of those gentlemen before they became apostles. Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee and He called them and they followed Him. They were available. What if Peter and John and others had said, Lord, I just just don't have time right now. There's fish to be caught. Right now there's nets to be cleaned. Right now there's other activities at the house that need to be done. 
And today, of course, many other particulars can on occasion be listed. I need to mow the yard. Well, there's no question about that. It's a needful activity. But can you and I make certain to choose the times to do that when it doesn't interfere with something that would be the calling or at least the activities of God? These men were available. What about this next example? You and I realize that we, of course, as gentlemen, have been given by God the primary responsibility for providing for our families, making sure there's food on the table, making sure there's a roof over the head, making sure clothes are on the back. God has given us the primary responsibility for making sure that those things are the case. In fact, the Bible on many occasions, both Old and New Testament, point out that that's what God expects of us. But may we remember that's not the only thing He expects. At the bottom of the slide in 1 Timothy 5.8, you'll notice there that the one who doesn't provide for his own house, he has denied the faith and he's worse than an infidel. Now those are the very words of the Word of God, aren't they? And of course that comes before us and quite often we take that very seriously. We're available when it comes to that. But that isn't all. Gentlemen, we've also been given this obligation to lead that family as the head of that household along that pathway that's in connection to the things of God. To, in fact, so direct them, our wives, our children, our family, so that they will appreciate not only the teaching of God, but they will strive to live in harmony with it. We've been given that obligation. Fathers, Ephesians 6, 4, provoke not your children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now, inasmuch as that, as well as other verses, bring those thoughts before us, doesn't it remind us it's important to be available? Very able men. Let's close that slide like this. And so, gentlemen, you and I will never then say, I don't have time. Or I'm too busy when it comes to the things of God. Our families will see in us that that's top priority. They'll see in us a life seeking to mimic the ultimate challenge and responsibility of serving God first. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Gentlemen, that should be seen in our life. Is it? Am I falling down on this? Is my family seeing more dedication in other areas? If so, I'm not a very able man when it comes to this. But what about a second thing that might be said about these men in 1 Chronicles 9? They were approachable. Yes, indeed, they were approachable. Let's develop that thought like this. You'll notice that there are several instances, not only in the Chronicles, but yea, in the book of Ezra, in which we find... Zerubbabel, Ezra, and others delivered instruction, and these men took it. They accepted it. They listened with care, and therefore they were approachable men, meaning that they not only had a temperament such that you could speak with them and talk to them and share with them, but they had a temperament such that they could easily take those instructions and thus put them into action. Look at some of these particular thoughts. An available man will also be approachable. 
gentlemen, we make a very difficult situation if we make ourselves to be unapproachable. If our children, our wives, or even others find in us a temperament such that we are unresponsive, such that we, in fact, are very defensive, such that we, in fact, are not at all agreeable to even discuss things. Others are not willing to come to us. They won't speak with us. They, in fact, are such that we have built a wall, if you please, between us and them. But these men mustn't have been that way. Again, notice the wording of verse 13. Very able men for the work of the service of the house of God. All of the attributes and all the particulars that went into that work apparently was such that these could do it, but that work and the service involved a lot of other people. The work at the temple, the work in the various and sundry avenues and aspects, and these men were those who apparently others could seek advice from. That leads me to say this. This challenges all of us, gentlemen. How approachable are you and I? Are we rather unapproachable? Do others particularly avoid us? Do they conduct themselves in a way to try to not have any contact with us because there's something about our character that's rather abrasive? If so, we aren't very approachable and therefore we aren't very available either. We can't be much help to someone if they won't communicate with us. You'll notice that verse I've asked you to consider in James 1 verses 19 and 20. In the opening chapter of that little powerful book in the New Testament, aren't we told on that occasion, very directly and very powerfully, words like this, Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Aren't each of us admonished? And of course, these are wise nuggets of wisdom for one and all, including the ladies, but... Isn't it true that to be available and therefore approachable, we realize we need to be quick to listen as we understand circumstances and then to make use of the wisdom of the Word of God in ourselves to offer advice and counsel and helpfulness. But we must be approachable. You may notice near the bottom of that slide, how frequently does the New Testament describe basic avenues of this? Let brotherly love be without dissimulation. Romans 12, verses 9 and 10. That brotherly love is a love of the brethren. It is a love that lifts high the characteristic appreciation and value of one another. Even beyond that, in 1 Peter 1, 22, See that ye love one another fervently. So gentlemen, second question, are we approachable? as well as available. Lesson number three, what else might be said about these men? Would it not be fair to say they were dependable? We noted earlier some 42,360 came back, of course, from that place in Babylon. And of that group, these 1,760 were termed very able men. These very able ones... Would you consider with me briefly something to be noted about their dependability? I've begun that discussion like these. The text expressly says that they were such that their talents, their capabilities, their work was directed to the work 
of the service of God. But they were dependable for carrying that out. I noted earlier that there was going to be a significant amount of effort and labor involved in the redirection in Jerusalem. The city was in ruins. The temple again was virtually non-existent. All of that work was going to have to be done. And these men signed up to take part in it. How quick are you and I to sign up and to be dependable to what commitment we've made? Yes, I'll do that. But then when that day and time comes, we're nowhere to be found. Or we offer some supposed reason as to why we can't be there. Well, that's not very dependable. If providential circumstances haven't hindered us, we need to be true to our word. We need to make sure to follow through on that which we've promised. You'll notice particularly in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2, there is something to be said about faithfulness and that which is exhibited in the life of a steward. That's an interesting word, isn't it? A steward is S-T-E-W-A-R-D. That describes one who is in fact is under the service of and the tutelage of another. And as such, we of course are stewards of God, but he says they must be faithful. Does that adequately describe you and I? Or do we more often than not, perhaps in the lives of our spouse, our children, maybe if they had to be honest, they wouldn't always use the word dependable to describe us. If that's true, that is not a happy reflection of us. In fact, we need to be working at once on making that different. Let's read even further. In Joshua 24, 15, Joshua said something rather notable as he, of course, approached the end of his days. It was on his deathbed, basically, when he said, Choose you this day whom you'll serve. And he began to notice there were other gods that people served on the other side of the Jordan, but then he made this dramatic statement, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Did you notice Joshua was able to make this statement? Not only speaking for himself, he said, For me and my house, my wife and my children and my grandchildren, and yea, even to those who are afflicted by and influenced by my house, they will serve the God of heaven. How well does that describe you and me? It's true, there's certainly something to be said for that time when a child will reach the point of making his or her own decision. But Joshua nonetheless could make the definitive statement as for us, me and my house, there is no question who we're going to serve and there's no question where we're going to be and the direction to which we'll give our talents and attention. We're going to serve the Lord. May our children see that commitment in us. May our spouse see that commitment in us. There's no place we shall be on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night if at all possible, in the place where God's people are meeting, to serve and to worship the God of heaven, to see in us the unfailing commitment to that reality. That will speak volumes in the realities of their remembrances in days gone by. I've preached a number of funerals in my day. You know one thing about it, when you come to the time of that funeral and a child is reminiscing about father or mother, It is something to be noted. You often don't hear them reflect on they worked there at this factory at that place, but you'll often hear 
dad was always in church services or mom always read the Bible, those kind of memories will stick long after you're gone. But we've got to be dependable. They must see in us a commitment to this. Let's read even further. The cause of God today needs faithful servants. Before the services today, and even in light of our Bible study classes, we were noting, weren't we, that our culture is in such a mess. The direction in which so many families and individuals are going is wholly apart from this book because they've never had any exposure to it. They weren't raised in it, and they have no interest in it now. And therefore, when there's no standard, we all know what's going to happen. When there was no king in Israel, every man did what was right in his own eyes. It was a mess back then, and it's a mess right now. But you'll notice that we have an opportunity to at least begin little by little, to make sure that ourselves and those whom we love are directed in the proper fashion, and to move in that direction of rightfulness, and to be much like Joshua and saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As we close that slide, it's at this point it would be fair to say that there are some passages, in fact, some statements in the Word of God that directly assert that some things cannot be done by a woman. So gentlemen, that leaves it to us. There are some things that God has specifically decreed that a man must do. For example, in Colossians 3, verses 18 and following, as well as 1 Peter 3, 7, it's the men who are particularly pointed out as the leader of your household. You've got to love your wife and lead her and your children in such a way that your prayers will not be hindered. How are we doing on this? It's a challenge, isn't it? Am I directing my family? Are you directing yours in such a way that our prayers won't be hindered? Our individual family prayers will be properly accepted and received by God? If my life is not consistent with the Word of God, I've got some issues, and all of us may find ourselves in need of working toward the reality of being a very able man. What else might be said? What else was true of these men? Wouldn't it be interesting to notice they were energetic? That is to say, there was not a passiveness attached to these very able men. Let's develop it like this. I've already discussed it at least very briefly a couple of times. When they left Babylon to go back to this place of Jerusalem, remember they'd been gone for 70 years you can imagine that any houses were vacant, the weeds were grown up around it. You can imagine also that others who perhaps were living in that area had begun to use it, and it was not at all usable any longer in a way that the people would have wanted. There was work to be done and a lot of it. But yet these men took the initiative to go back. They took the initiative to invest months years, if you please, in labor to put again in place the proper worship of God and to recognize that they, as the chosen people, were special and to rebuild within themselves the fervor and the value and the respect for what God had given to them initially. Well, all of that leads me to say this. 
Today, isn't it still true that a very able man will be energetic and will take initiative? In Mark 16, for instance, verses 15 and following, closing chapter in that book of Mark, we have again that passage It's often used to remind all of us about the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So who is supposed to do this? Well, of course, all Christians. But isn't it true, gentlemen, that a particular message of directness is given to us? Because again, a woman cannot preach from a pulpit like you and I can. She can't teach a mixed audience of people as you and I are able to do. There are restrictions that have been placed on her. Men, we've got to do this. When you and I then appreciate the opportunity that's ours, may we be thankful for that opportunity and lift high the hands of those here and abroad that we're able to encourage in that effort. But the energy attached to what these able men did, it leads me to note this, gentlemen, sometimes we have to recognize the stepping beyond a comfort zone. In 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, Paul writing to Timothy said, God has not given us a spirit of timidity. That is to say, passiveness. But rather, He's given us a sound mind and that capability of doing it. Maybe you have thought about leading a public prayer in this assembly. If the elders ask you, be willing to try it. Or maybe to lead singing. Or maybe to teach a class. Be willing to do it. Take that initiative. I'll guarantee you in the study for the classes, you'll learn more than anybody else as you prepare for that class, as you research the various avenues and efforts of the Word of God. It will be a good experience for you. And you will, in fact, exhibit to those that you love the most your commitment to the things of the Word of God. Perhaps one final thing on that point. There's an interesting scene given at the Day of Judgment in Matthew 25. In fact, you may notice in verses 31 and following, Jesus made a dramatic portrait, a picture if you please. And you'll notice some things that He said. He separated all nations onto His left and His right hand, and to those on the right, He commended them very highly because of a number of things they had done. You fed the hungry. You visited the sick. You, in fact, took care of those in prison. You took care of the fatherless and the widows and others. But to those on the left, the very same things, He said, you had not done those things. One more time, a number of those things may well, on occasion, directly involve us men. For example, we wouldn't anticipate any possibility for, let's say, a woman to go into a man's prison and preach and teach to them. That wouldn't be allowed. You and I got to do it if it's going to get done. Not only that, those circumstances, certain things due to the strength of our bodies, whereas the woman's the weaker vessel, she can't always do what we can. That work's left to us. Very able men is the topic. And one last thing. It will involve an issue in sacrifice just like it did for these men in First Chronicles. In Luke 9, 23, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. When that is exemplified in us, it will profoundly impact those around us. 
It will profoundly impact what they see in us and who they would wish to be. The fifth and final lesson of the morning. This one at the bottom. Steadfastness. These very able men not only begun the journey, not only did they make it back to, if you please, this place in Jerusalem, but they were also steadfast. That is to say, faithful. Let's develop that like this. You'll notice when they are mentioned in 1 Chronicles 9, it says, And their brethren, heads of the house of their fathers, a thousand and seven hundred and three score, very able men for the work of the service of the house of God. In other words, they enlisted themselves for a period of time that would involve a significant service. Now, the Bible doesn't say how long. Perhaps a few months, a few years. But at the very least, their continuance in that and their faithfulness exhibited was going to be a monumental thing for the continuing development of God's people back in Jerusalem. Well, let's make application of that to us. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, a passage directed just as much for men, of course, as for women, but there, apply it to to men. Quit ye like men. Be faithful. Now, when we discussed that on Wednesday evening a few weeks ago, we, we discussed, did we not, the integrity and the character of stand up like a man and be strong. God needs you in His service. Men, that's true of us. Could we add to that? 1 Thessalonians 3.8. That linkage, that connection, be strong like men. You and I are perhaps aware from the perspective of history that in the ancient times when a man would clad himself appropriately and head off into a battle or war, he was, of course, pictured as a very strong and worthy opponent, one who could carry himself well in terms of his armament and do a good job at obtaining victory. But men, we must be steadfast as well. A couple of final verses. In Ephesians 6, verses 10 and following, the inspired writer Paul lists a number of elements of the armament that the Christian today is to wear. Everything from the helmet of salvation all the way to our feet, having been shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And in between, there's a number of other things like having your loins girt about with truth, having the breastplate of righteousness, carrying the sword of the Spirit, which of course is the shield of faith. All of that brings us to perhaps note this. How are you and I doing it, this, gentlemen? These five characteristics have challenged us rather notably. Inasmuch as they challenge all of us as those who would strive to serve the God of heaven, let me just close the lesson on this conclusion slide with a brief set of remarks about each one of these. These very able men, as we've already learned today, in addition to being approachable, in addition to being available, in addition to being energetic and dependable and steadfast, These men, as you and I will read later in the Old Testament, they were critical individuals who, in fact, helped to solidify the growth and development of the people of God back in that place. And for a long time, they enjoyed a great prosperity due to this. 
these men did a great work. They did a tremendously great work. May I say that a very able man today will again do a great, great work. Not only instructing himself appropriately using the Word of God, but all of those whom he influences such as his wife, his children, and no doubt many others in the community and the workplace as well. The challenge has been set before us. May we be thriving and quick to pick up the effort and to be a very able man. I might say you can't be a very able man though if you aren't a faithful Christian. Every one of these we've discussed will require a dedication to the things of God. If you've never become a Christian, let today be the day. After all, the number of days left in your life will be one less tomorrow than it is today. And every time that we have is precious. Let's make the most use of it. Aren't we commanded to walk circumspectly? Knowing that the days are evil, Ephesians 5 verses 15 and 16. And so it is. The gospel plan of salvation demands that you believe with all of your heart that Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of your sins and confess His name as the only begotten Son of God and be baptized for the remission of your sins. If we could assist you in that way today, it would be our delight. It would be the great honor in terms of making sure that your name is in the honor roll of faith. But on the other hand, if you have become a Christian, but as of today, one or more of these elements, or maybe it's some other issue in life, but you realize it's not what it ought to be. Don't you realize again that the Lord's calling you. He wants you to be a very able man who will be a great servant of His and who will direct and help others come to know the same. If you have lived in such a way that you've brought disgrace to yourself, to your Lord, maybe even to your family, you know you can make that right. And all that you have to do is to do what the Bible says. And it says, for a wayward child of God, you must confess those errors, repent of them. And as brethren then pray to God on your behalf, God will forgive it. He's promised He will. Today, you could leave this place, hold, sanctified, justified, cleanse, and name again in the Lamb's book of life. But the decision's left up to you and me. If we're not a very able man, we can leave this place still not being one, or we can begin under repentance and proper obedience to make some changes. Today, if we could be of help to anybody, we won't want you to know that the invitation's always open. But now's a convenient time, and we'd encourage and invite you to come while together we stand and while we sing.